Do you want to capture meaningful conversations that you care about? Spotify for Podcasters allows you to make a podcast super effortlessly, distribute it automatically everywhere, completely free, and even earn money doing it. Did I say free while making money? What happened to capitalism? Use your phone or computer, hit press record, upload, and start creating today. You can also monetize your podcast super effortlessly through features like ads and subscriptions through the platform. If you have been following the Discover More journey, you know that I've been using Spotify for Podcasters since 2020. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to spotify.com slash podcasters. spotify.com slash podcasters to start creating immediately. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Discover More, where we strive to discover more through intentional dialogues. My name is Benoit. And my name is Aiden. This podcast will serve as a space to exchange ideas from the collective experience. Hey everybody, today's guest is going to be Nick Boletto, or Coach Nick. Uh, how's it going today? What's up guys, thanks for having me on, doing pretty well. Excited to be here. Yeah, excited to have you, man. It's definitely uh, excited to jump into it. So do you think you could start us off, kind of just give us some general background or share your story? Sure. So I, according to my Instagram page, I'm a mindset muscle building coach. Um, so I, I do a little bit of personal development stuff. I'm also a health and fitness coach. That's how I kind of got my start in entrepreneurship in the business world. But that is not my story and it's not who I am either. So sure, I'll, I'll take you back a little bit. I think um, one of the interesting things for people listening might be to hear how people get into fitness as you guys met through fitness. So I'll share how I got into it. So my first ever girlfriend, she broke up with me because she said that I was Uh, I would never be able to physically or sexually satisfy her. And that just wrecked me, absolutely destroyed me. And it caused me to, to develop this belief that I was, I was not worthy of, of love and I wasn't worthy just in general. And it also caused me to have this belief that if I could make my body look a certain way, then maybe I might be worthy. And so I started dedicating myself to health and wellness. I ended up going to school for exercise science and I just did everything that I could possibly muster to learn about health and fitness and try to develop my physique into something that a girl would come along and say, yeah, you're the one, you're worthy. And of course that never happened. You know, worthiness has nothing to do with your external circumstances it's completely first of all it's unconditional but if anything if it was conditioned it would be on your internal circumstances and so that's why i got into health and fitness coaching was because along the way i, I got pretty good at changing my physique I, I do have something that i'm proud of um, but then as i continued along my journey of entrepreneurship the same stories and beliefs started to come up for me that i wasn't worthy And so I really had a tough time attracting clients because I felt like I wasn't worthy of those clients. So it was the same thing that was coming up with my health and fitness. So I started working with a personal development coach and that coach helped me to start to shift my beliefs. And I actually started to see better results with my health and fitness. In 2019, I made it my goal to get the leanest that I had ever been. And, uh, I started to see crazy results with that journey because I was working with this mindset coach and I was like, huh, wonder if I started doing this for my clients, if they'd start seeing better results too. And so that's exactly what I did. And now I'm kind of at this point where it's health and fitness coaching on the outside. It's kind of what I sell because it's what people want, but what people need is this mindset coaching. And so I ultimately deliver this personal development coaching to help people Uh, gain awareness around what their limiting beliefs are and what the bis biggest barriers are in their lives and then that help them break through those barriers and then gain some clarity around what their mission and purpose is and all the while they're also having a journey with health and fitness because a lot of people you know that's that's an area that they need to develop in so that's kind of 
brief summary of, of who I am and why I do what I do. Absolutely, man. I think coming from being a former coach of Nick, the kind of mindset part of your coaching was definitely the most transformative for me. I personally loved working out and loved the nutrition side of things, but it was really that mindset that took kind of the extra step and really solidified the teachings that you were giving. But when you did ask for a personal development coach, how did you figure out that that would be something to invest in? Because I think a lot of people are looking for coaches for a tangible skill, right? They want to go learn a musical instrument or learn how to lift more weight. But what was it that kind of made you recognize or realize that a personal development coach would be worth that investment? So I didn't choose to get a personal development coach. So I was working with a business coach and he hired this personal development coach. And I was very, very skeptical of it. I was like, fuck this guy. Like he doesn't know me kind of thing. And Mm -hmm. then I was like, okay, I'll give it a chance because if Will, my business coach thinks that this guy is worthwhile, then he's, I'm going to give him a chance because I like Will. I trust Will a lot. I had been working with him for like seven or eight months at this point. He had really helped my business scale. And so the reason that Jake, who's my coach, came into my life and Jake's whole thing is that once you've worked with like your first business coach, you don't need any more knowledge about systems and strategies. You need to develop yourself into a better leader and a better coach. And I was like, okay, I buy that because I had been through a couple of business masterminds at this point and I had a pretty good idea about what I needed to do to try and get clients, but I wasn't getting clients. So what was that all about? And so, you know, I, I just bought into the idea that, okay, if Jay can help me develop myself as a leader and as a coach, and then I start producing better results with my clients, my business will grow. And it was the same thing when it came time for me to start doing it with my clients. It was like, I can deliver all of the systems and strategies to get leaner and build muscle, and that's all well and good. But if they're not taking the proper action on what I'm giving them, then they're not going to get the results that they want. And how can I help them to take better action? They take better action because of the coaching that we do, the mindset coaching. So that's kind of how I would phrase it all is like you are struggling despite knowing what to do. And if you're struggling despite knowing what to do, then it's not a knowledge thing it's an implementation thing and how do you start taking different action you take different action by changing your beliefs you know the whole like grant cardone or gary v thing of just like do more i I think it is do more but it's do more once you understand what the fuck's going on inside your head Mm -hmm. so let's let's change the belief systems and now i've set you up for for life with your health and fitness because of the mindset coaching that we've done and that's ultimately my goal is like, I don't want to create clients that have to stick with me for years on end. I want to create clients who after 12 weeks are like, all right, I got the things that I need to work on internally. I know what to do as far as systems and strategies go externally and I'm ready to make gains for life. Thanks for everything. Mm-hmm. And I send you on my way. So for someone that may be on the fence like you were, so you were fortunate in the sense that your business coach, Jake, acted as the bridge mm-hmm. that gapped the disbelief that you had. So how about for people who are in a similar situation you went through, but don't have that bridge or that fortunate circumstances, how would people be persuaded? Yeah, I think it's just introspection. Have you been trying the same thing for so long and how long are you going to continue to try that same thing? Like if you've been counting your calories, if you've been training a certain amount of days in the week, if you've been following the bodybuilding.com program and you've been eating Steve Cook's exact diet regimen (laughs) and like you're not getting results. Well, like how long are you going to keep bashing your head into the wall thinking that you're going to get a different result? And so the, the mantra that I always go back to is your results are in direct alignment with your actions, right? That makes sense. We get that but your actions are always going to fall to the level of your beliefs and they'll never rise up to the level of your goals. So if you have this goal of getting a six pack and you don't have a six pack yet, and you've been trying to get a six pack for a really long time, well, like that is where your belief system lies. Whereas if we can change your belief system to think that you are worthy, that you're exceptional and that you're capable, 
you'll start taking different action when it comes to the gym and when it comes to the kitchen. Because I can tell you like, okay, we're going to take your calories down 150 calories this week. And you know, you have to make a little bit of lifestyle changes with that. Like you're just not going to do it if you feel like you're not capable and worthy of it. But if we can change that belief system, then, then you'll take the proper action. So I think it really just comes down to that understanding that if my goals are here and I haven't reached those goals yet, then that means that my actions are below those goals and those actions that I'm currently taking are just in alignment with my current belief system. So I need to raise my beliefs if I want to get new results. One of the biggest things that you helped me through was changing the beliefs as we've kind of been talking through. But even in the three months that we worked together, that was barely enough time to completely truly change beliefs. I think it's almost a process of continuing to instill those new beliefs. But for someone that might not have the awareness of how to change their beliefs, what's kind of a first step or kind of a building block that they could take that step to begin transforming their beliefs? There's a lot of really good free resources. First and foremost, you can join my Facebook group where I, I go through all this stuff for free. Uh, at least the first step in any kind of belief transformation is going to start with awareness. We need to understand what's already there. We need to know where it comes from so that we can start to change the story. And awareness is actually a, a fairly easy thing to get into. So doing some journaling, if you want like some specific resources, the books that I always recommend to clients are The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. Does a really good job of understanding uh, where your beliefs might be coming from, what your root cause is. And then Claim Your Power by Madison Kip is another one that is fantastic. It's a 40-day journey, which is really cool. So you just do one chapter a day. It takes like 10 or 15 minutes, and you're able to kind of walk yourself through your entire story. But with personal development books, every single one works. It's just a matter of whether or not you're actually going to do the work. A lot of people just like to read personal development books and think that they're getting personally developed. But just like going to the gym and getting results in the gym, like this is this takes work and it takes a lot more work and it's a lot harder. You know, going to the gym is five, seven, nine hours a week. Changing your beliefs is a 24-7 thing and like eight of those hours you're asleep. But your beliefs are not. Your beliefs are forming all your dreams. Like, I mean, everything is coming down to your subconscious beliefs. And so you have to continually do the work in order to, to change that belief system. So it's it starts with awareness. That's where you start. And those two books are probably the first places that I would go to. And also, you know, meditation is another really great place to start. Get a baseline of what's going on inside your head. Doing journaling activities. Google journal prompts, introspective journal prompts, and just just write, just see what's going on inside your head. So many of us, like, we're just not even in tune with what's going on inside our heads. We just go throughout our day and just whatever comes up, comes up, and we just go with it. So get a, get get some awareness because we can't control what we're not understanding. Yeah, I think when you're kind of running through the day to what you alluded to, just kind of on auto autopilot, more or less, that's physically or that's literally when your subconscious beliefs are just guiding you through the routine of every day but personally something I found really helpful that I think you kind of inspired was doing morning pages every morning because that was just as you're waking up and your brain is still kind of recovering from the sleep your brain is still plastic of the dreams you just had just sitting down at the keyboard and writing for 10 minutes whatever comes up some days it's I don't know what to write about, but I'm going to have a great day today, or I'm really tired. I can't believe I'm awake. You know, whatever comes to mind, just putting out there, I think is a really beneficial to a degree. Cause if you're writing for 15 minutes, inevitably you come down to writing about things that actually matter and what you, you know, truly want to do with the day ahead. So you did touch on meditation, which is something that we've both been experimenting with a lot that I think would be helpful to talk, talk about because there's a lot of stigma behind meditation in terms of, you know, we talked about it earlier. Not a lot of people want to hop right into the meditation train. How did you come into that journey and how would it become accessible to someone who may be hesitant towards it? So how did I come into meditation? I have been like a personal development junkie 
from my very early teenage years. And it's kind of funny that I've gotten to the point that I'm at now where I'm doing personal development and fitness because my like original fitness idol was Brandon Carter. If you guys follow Brandon Carter on YouTube, you kind of know where I'm going with this, but his big thing, like every other video was him talking about books and every other video was him working out. And then a few years after I started following him, he had this whole gains and development challenge where every day you, you posted your workouts and then uh, you would post like a quote from a book that you were reading or whatever. So I was super into personal development just from, from following him. So he had this hashtag a couple of years later, uh, hashtag gains and development. And so I started making all these posts where I would be working out in the actual like video content of the Instagram posts. And then the caption would be a quote from a book I was reading. And so I just always was really into, into both things. And so I guess just being a personal development junkie along the way, you, you read that all the really successful people meditate. And I was just like, I want to be really successful. <laughs> so I just started meditating for that reason. Uh, but I really like went through crazy cycles with it. I think I've had a meditation app on my phone for seven or eight years. And I think I very recently hit a hundred sessions like last month or something. So that goes to show that I haven't been doing it any kind of consistently. Uh, but I really just got into it because for me, it's not necessarily the benefits of meditation, but it's the actual act of creating that space and time for me to do something that is being by myself, creating that space and time, which will subconsciously help me to understand that I come first. And I think that's what the power of a morning routine is for me. And that's the power of meditation. As far as making meditation accessible for other people, I literally just tell my clients to start with three minutes a day. Anybody can do three minutes of meditation. Like you can't even fall asleep in three minutes, which is one of the big problems with <laughs> beginners meditating. So a lot of my clients, they are just meditating for three minutes a day. And then we slowly try to progress to five minutes a day. But it's just, again, coming to that understanding of why you're meditating. And even if you don't want to go into the actual benefits of meditation itself, the act of putting yourself first and creating that space and time for that routine, I think subconsciously rewires you to start putting yourself first. And that is hugely important, like just cannot be overlooked. Well, why do you think that putting yourself first is so important? Because a lot of people may say that that's selfish or only taking care of yourself, uh, kind of not caring about other people, but why is it so crucial to put yourself first? So, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about power hierarchies to answer this question. Um, so there's a, there's a few different power hierarchies that we traditionally see with people. So we see narcissists whose power hierarchies would look like self, self, self. So that, that's one. The second one would be like God, others, self. So this is your like religious junkies. This is like people who everything they do is like for, for God and for the church. Then we have people who uh, their hierarchy might look like others, others, others. And these people just like continually are completely burnt out. So it's, it's really easy to fall into one of those hierarchies. And that's where most people live at. As a coach, I lived in the others, others, others hierarchy for a really long time. I never took care of myself. And so not only was I extremely depressed, but I wasn't even that good at helping others because I, I wasn't helping myself. And who, who would ever trust me to help them if I can't even help myself? <laughs> That's embarrassing. So I wanted to move out of the others, others, others hierarchy. And you know, obviously I didn't want to move into the narcissist hierarchy and I wasn't gonna move into the religion hierarchy either. And so the one that made the most sense for me was self, God, others. So my hierarchy, by putting myself first, what that does is it gives me freedom of choice and it gives me free will. So I am able to make the choice to give my will over to God, which is why God comes second to me. And by giving myself over to God, giving my will over to God, he is able to put the opportunities into my life for me to actually help others. But if I put others before God, then that doesn't work out. And if I put either of those things before me, then I no longer have the free will and the freedom to make that choice. And so 
the metaphor is really cliche, but you know, you can't pour from an empty cup. So you fill your cup first, you put your oxygen mask on first, uh, if the plane is crashing. And so that's what it became for me is like, I'm going to create this hour, hour and a half first thing in the morning with my morning routine where it's just all about me, baby. And then I'm going to take care of other people all day long, but I'm going to put myself first, uh, give myself that opportunity to, to connect with myself and to connect with my creator. And if I can create that connection, then I can do anything. I could really relate to that because, so I work in the nonprofit sector and there's a notion in social service sector called radical self-care because social sectors such as social workers who I work with and manage and to nurses, doctors, other very high stress and very selfifications, they all carry this others, others, others mentality in the model of power hierarchy, as you alluded to, but then they face the severe consequence of burning out and it is very real. The average burnout rate for a social worker depends on how, I guess, voluminous and how high stress your work environment is because a social worker working with the school or working with families could be a little bit different from social workers who work in the hospital, but the average rate is extremely high. And so our, I think our field has been really trying to emphasize the notion of you have to be radical with your self-care because for example, let's say you're servicing these marginalized families and you have to internalize all these emotional barriers and all these emotional stresses the families are going through. You internalize them so you can be empathetic and you empathize and you help with them. And you don't feel very well on Monday. And the optimality, right, is the optimal thing to do is you take Tuesday off so you can come back fresh on a Wednesday to service them for Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. So you took a gap down on the week but if you just go through it because you're about others, 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 and you neglect and negate your own needs, then you may get sick for a whole week. So in terms of missing out on one day of service, now you've missed out and you've basically forfeited a week of service opportunities. So I feel like it's very about micro and macro, but I could 100% relate to your power hierarchy. Yeah, I mean, even in my business, um, being a fitness coach, I've gotten to interact with tons of fitness coaches and most of the ones that I started out in the industry with, they're no longer coaches anymore. And it's because they were either narcissists or they were others, 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 and they either realize they don't give a shit about helping other people or they realize that they're just completely burnt out and they don't want to continue trying anymore. So what do you think? I mean, this could be a collective question, like the biggest things that you guys have found helpful for self-care. Like you said, that first hour and a half of your morning, obviously some of it's meditation, but what are some of the other practices that you'll do that kind of help you face the day ahead or recover from the stress of dealing with clients or in your case, other, yeah, still clients, but what are some of the things that set you up for success for the day forward? I really like that question because I think people really sleep on the concept of morning routines and like small habits, right? So I feel like habits are so powerful because it's your daily routine and when you do something habitually, it really creates a pattern and then you can do that for a long term. But so for me, a few things is because I've been doing it for a while and I was a former ed urban educator through Teach for America. So I really learned to compartmentalize my stress and I developed this innate ability to not bring my work home. So it's not really physical work. Sometimes I just have to do emails and you know work on my projects at home, but it's more about my emotional work. And it's hard for me to give like a clear cut answer of what my habits and what my routines develop that. I think it's more like a gradualism. It's a gradual process. I learned to leave my emotional baggages at work because I've learned and tasted the consequences of if I do not. So it's always in hindsight. So I learned to just practice, but like you alluded to earlier, I do been, I have been experimenting with meditation, which I think it's not really about the meditation itself, but it's more about the habit of meditating really creates a clarity, creates that gap within my mind. So I react less. So if something stressful happens, I am better at negating that stress by reacting less harshly or less emotionally. And I think I just check my emotions a lot better and my reactions a lot better. But a few things I do is gym. I'm a very avid uh, fitness enthusiast. I work out five days a week. And by having a stress relief outlet, such as working out, it's, it's a great coping mechanism for me. 
and it, it helps me release my endorphins and my stress and you know, just body energy in a very positive way which also creates residual energy because I do work out 5 a.m. in the morning and I think just like what I'm sure Nika talk a lot deeper into this concept but I, I meal prep during the week so I eat very healthy I watch out what I intake into my body my system which creates that mental energy in the long run versus when you just chow down on french fries and cheese and Philly cheesesteak all day long so yeah I think just like the little things that just may not be significant in the macro sense but on a daily basis it really creates I think set up for long-term success yeah I, um, I want to touch on something that you were talking about before we even got into morning routines but not bringing your emotional baggage home to work so something that I've really been working on recently is having resets so I have literally alarms on my phone that uh, come on three times a day and they say bring the joy and it's just a it's just a way for me to remember like I get to calculate my attitude my attitude is not based on what's going on in my life it's a choice and so that comes on three times a day and I kind of give myself a, a moment to reset what's going on emotionally so that I can be more present and more in whatever role it is that I'm in at that time, whether it's friend, coach, brother, son, boyfriend, whatever it is. And a couple other triggers that I've been trying to use is um, before I get out of the car every time. So I use the sound of the seatbelt unbuckling. It takes 60 seconds, close my eyes, and I just repeat the word release, release, release over and over again. So I release tension from whatever the last experience I had is, and I set an intention for whatever the next experience that I'm going into is, which is why I use the car. I know that some of my clients will use like doorway as one of the things as well, and they'll do something similar along the lines of releasing tension and setting intention. But to your point, that idea of resetting and really like not bringing what happened in the last experience into the next one can really like completely revitalize your life. And I love this notion of bring the joy. Like you really do get to choose how you are. So, but anyways, to go into morning routines, my morning routine is uh, meditation first, then I journal, and then I read 10 pages every day. So 10 minutes of meditation, then I journal. Journaling will be different every day. I do at least a half a page because I write really small. My The pages in my notebook are like freakishly big. So half a page is a lot. But like today I journaled for like 40 minutes because I had this story in my head of uh, when I was like a junior in high school and I just wanted to write the entire story out. So I wrote the whole thing and it ended up being like a page and a half. And then I read 10 pages every day because I'm a really slow reader and that's about all I can manage. So yeah, that's my morning routine. And then I go to the gym from after reading every day. You talked about journeying could vary, but what... I guess what motivates the journaling or more so of what do you really journal about? Is it just anything that's on your mind at that morning or is, just, is there any tension behind it? Or Yeah, so kind of like Aiden was talking about earlier with the morning pages, usually it will just start with what's ever in my head, which is almost always a, a lyric from a song. So it, it almost always starts with a lyric and then it just is kind of a stream of consciousness thing. A lot of times, because that's when you're most creative first thing in the morning, it ends up actually turning into content for like my Instagram and stuff. So it usually will turn into something that is intentional, but it starts out usually like I'll just write whatever song lyrics in my head and then I'll just kind of stream of consciousness from there. So I woke up this morning with a song lyric in my head and then I was like, I didn't like the lyric. I do like the lyric, but I didn't like what it was doing to me. And then I was like, I need to just write about something completely different. What's a time in my life that somebody made me feel really good? And it reminded me of this story that I ended up writing about. And that's that's what my journaling became. And so to follow up, what is the purpose of journaling? Is there a way for you to release your energy or clutter in your mind to teach you that clarity? Or what's the intention behind it? For me, it's all about connection. So my primary emotions, which this is an exercise that I have my clients go through, but my primary emotions are connection and love. So my like life's mission statement is, my mission is to connect with myself and my higher power and to inspire others to do the same and feel the love that happens when I do. And so my morning routine is all about connecting with myself. So meditation is about connecting with myself and my higher power 
journaling is about connecting with what's going on inside my mind because I often get disconnected from what's going on inside my mind, um, which is that going back to what we were talking about earlier with Enneagram types, I'm an Enneagram type four and our primary problem is that we're disconnected from our thoughts and emotions and feelings and who we are. So journaling for me is about reconnecting with me. So that that's why I journal. And I think it also allows connection internally, but also what you said is the first step of changing beliefs is awareness. I think at least in my experience, journaling really helped me find awareness in what I was thinking because you can kind of think in loops for months at a time. Whereas when you're actually putting thought to paper and writing it out, it really brings a concrete awareness into what you're thinking. So I think from here, it might be a good transition point to kind of talk about your business specifically. You know, we kind of talked about your journey through fitness and how you work with clients, but kind of, I think it's really interesting how you've grown your business over the last couple of years. So maybe if you could bring listeners through where it started or what your experience in exercise once graduation started and then where you're at today. So before I go into post-grad, I would like to touch on just a couple of things in my undergrad journey through health and fitness. So I studied exercise science at the University of South Carolina, which South Carolina is annually rated as the number one exercise science program in the country. And I also was in the honors college there, which is number one in the country as well. So I'm a big fucking nerd pretty much. <laughs> um, but as far as like my experience goes, I, my first internship was at this little place in South Carolina where I worked with everybody from a professional running back, Marshawn Lattimore used to go to this gym and I used to train him, which was pretty cool that he's one of my first ever clients. And then I also had clients, I had this couple that used to come in who they were like 90 years old and had Parkinson's. So I kind of got a wide range of experience there. Then I interned at a gym here in Aston, Pennsylvania, power plant gym. So that was my second internship. Then I did some undergraduate research. Uh, I'm actually published in a peer review journal um, because of my, my thesis that I did in undergrad. I interned at a as a biomechanist where I worked with, I actually got to work with Tim Tebow because he was doing his little minor league baseball stint and the Columbia Fireflies is the New York Mets AAA team. So he was in Columbia, I was in Columbia and he was trying to improve his throwing range, his throwing motion. So I worked with him pretty exclusively, which was cool. And then I worked with a couple other guys getting ready for the NFL Combine. And all the while throughout undergrad too, I was just coaching people for free because I knew that I wanted to coach people. So I helped, you know, probably 25, 30 friends like lose body fat or get stronger or whatever. I got my first few powerlifting clients because I was in the powerlifting while I was in college. And so that was kind of like my whole body of experience during school. And then after I graduated, I worked for South Carolina's football team in the, on the strength and conditioning team. So I worked with their football team primarily, but I did track and field, volleyball, um, swim and dive, and I think that might have been it. And then I went to Temple University, worked with their strength and conditioning staff. I did rowing and football exclusively there. And then I decided that strength and conditioning at the college level was not what I wanted to do. And I, I started my own business. What made it about, because obviously you just touched on a lot of different experiences, but what were kind of, you decided ultimately it wasn't for you, but what were some of the pros and cons of working with such high level athletes? Because college football players are some of the best in the business right now, but what are some of the things you liked or disliked or that made that experience what it was? I think I've always had an attraction to high performers. I was a high performer in the classroom, and when I was in athletics, I was a high performer as well. And I just, in every industry, I've always been attracted to the people who are doing the best. And like, how are they doing the best? So I just wanted to be around college athletes. And I thought that, you know, I was a high performer in the classroom and I knew everything that it would take for them to get bigger, stronger, faster. And I knew that those guys of anybody should be the people who want to get bigger, stronger, faster, because they have literally millions of dollars on the line. 
Uh, and unfortunately, that wasn't really the case. Like a lot of the guys just didn't want to push themselves that hard. A lot of them recognized that they don't have a chance to play at the next level and they were getting college paid for and that was good enough for them. Um, and on top of that, there's just so much politics in collegiate sports. So the issue that I ran into was that the sport coaches wanted to tell the strength coaches how to do their jobs. And I was just like, I'm not going to listen to you. Like it was already bad enough that I had to listen to my boss, which I've just never been able to follow authority very well, which is why I started a business. But so that was just like super frustrating because like most of those guys, I was in the weight room for 12, 14 hours a day. So I know who worked out and who didn't. And most of them didn't work out. And I was like, you're really going to tell me how to get people bigger, stronger, faster. I've been studying this for a decade and I'm only at the time I was 22. It's like, I've been doing this since I was like 13 years old. I love this shit. Stop telling me how to do my job. So that was why I ultimately didn't work in collegiate strength and conditioning. So do you think that seeing that raw talent, but rather the lack of discipline kind of fizzling their talent out is what kind of made you realize that mindset is such a crucial piece to the health and wellness journey? That was definitely a part of it. There was, you know, I think that the way that you do anything in life is the way that you do everything. And I also think that life happens in cycles. And so what I saw was I was having a lot of experiences that were pointing me in that direction, all kind of at the same time. So I, I got in a car accident while I was working at Temple University and it completely totaled my car, completely wrecked my car. And I walked out of the car accident without a scratch. There's just no way that I should have been alive, much less completely okay. And I was like, okay, Nick, this is a fucking wake-up call. Time to get your shit together. And at the time, I was really, really struggling with my mental health. And um, I just felt like I needed to make a change. And so when I decided to make a change, it was make a change in everything. So it was make a change in what I was doing. I was going to start my own business. It was make a change in who I was, which I think the biggest change really just comes down to stepping out of victimhood. So I I stopped being a victim and I started taking responsibility and that really just started to to change my entire life. But it all kind of happened at the same time. So I was seeing these players who clearly had everything in the world going for them and all they needed to do was want it and they didn't. And so I saw that and then I had the politics with the coaches and then I had this car accident and I had me struggling with my mental health where I was seeing a therapist multiple times a week and like literally nobody in my family even wanted to be in the same room as me because they were scared of me. So like all of these things are going on at the same time and I was just like, okay, <laughs> it's time to make a change. And so that car accident was the catalyst for change for me. So I just want to point to something you kind of glossed over, which I think is very, very powerful, is the whole concept of personal accountability, is what I see over and over and over again, and Gary Vee is a huge advocate of this, is that most people in lab just bitch and complain the well, but what people don't realize is when you negate your personal accountability and you shift your blame and whatever unfortunate circumstances that happens in life to the society, to Trump, to your circumstances, your upbringings, your parents, your boyfriend, whatever it may be, you're literally giving your power away because you only have power over certain things that you take control of. You can only get that control back when you're accountable for it. Is, oh, I got a, an F on this exam. And how do I get the power back? By recognizing it was my fault for going out on a Sunday night when the exam was on a Monday. And once I recognize that, once the only if I reconcile with that, then I can take the power back and study harder next time. When you're like, oh, I got an F because my girlfriend asked me to come over and I cannot control and dictate my girlfriend's behavior. So my next time I'm going to fail the exam again because I gave my power away by shifting the blame and responsibility and accountability to my girlfriend. So I really like that transition you went through. And it sounds like you went through almost like a pre-quarter life crisis. And I'm glad you came out stronger, faster, bigger, and smarter than before. Yeah. Yeah. One of my personal mantras, and Aiden probably knows this, probably drilled it into his head, is I I am the source for every result in my life, good and bad. 
And so if you're having continually bad results to take what you said a step further is like, why are you making that decision to go hang out with your girlfriend? And that comes back to your beliefs, which is why so much of my work is about changing your beliefs. Like maybe you keep hanging out with your girlfriend when you should be studying because you had uh, a parent like completely abandon you when you were six years old. And now you have this belief that if you're not attached to the hip with people that you love, that they'll leave you. And so, you know, you have to change the belief there so that you stop taking that action. It's something as simple as staying in and studying for you. Again, going back to the power hierarchies, putting yourself first, like all of these things are just intertwined. So I, I really like that. What was the biggest belief change that you had to go through following that incident? And how did that kind of change how you showed up going forward? And it sounds like all aspects of life. Yeah, so I'll dive into a little bit of a story here. I think that my root cause of where all my pain comes from, so going back, my Enneagram type is type four, and my childhood wound is abandonment. And so when I found that out, I was like, well, who abandoned me in my life? Because I'm extremely tight with my family, and I've had like a lot of rough relationship history, but that's all been way too recent for that to be the cause. And like actually. Yeah, dating relationships. So it actually, my dating relationship history is an effect of what the cause was. I'm a shitty boyfriend because of what happened to me when I was a kid, which was, so my grandfather was like my role model. He was my rock growing up. And my dad, my parents had me really young. So my dad had to work like three jobs. So I didn't really see him all that much in my formative years. My grandfather was around a lot. And on top of him being around, you know, they say that like a lot of genetic traits kind of skip a generation. So I was just like the spinning image of him. Like we're the only people in the whole family with green eyes. We're the only people who ever played baseball in the family. Like we have all the same mannerisms and all of these different things, same sense of humor. And so I was just really, really close with him. And, you know, when I think back on some of my earliest, happiest memories, most of them involve him. What I didn't know about him, though, was that he wasn't a good guy. And so he had been doing a lot of shitty things to people in my family, including my mom. And when my mom turned 30 years old, literally on her 30th birthday, they had this huge falling out. And she basically and he they agreed mutually that they were not going to be a part of each other's lives anymore. And so he no longer was really a part of my life. And as a kid they couldn't tell me that, hey, grandfather, your grandfather is a sex addict and a coke addict and he's abusive both physically and emotionally to all these people in your life. Like I wouldn't have been able to understand that. And so they just had to tell me that I wasn't allowed to see him anymore. And the way that the story that I developed from that was that he left me, that he abandoned me and that I wasn't worthy of his love. And so that's how that shows up in my romantic relationships is, you know, I either am attached at the hip with my partner or I push them away so that I can just get the abandonment over with. And it shows up in all areas of my life. So when I was looking into my business and trying to grow my business, I was so scared to like generate new leads, new conversations with people because I felt like they were going to reject me before I even reached out to them. And so I was just like, all right, I'll just wait until clients come to me. And then when clients were coming to me, I was like holding on to them so tight. And like I was basing my entire self-worth around whether or not they enrolled in my program. And then once they were actually in my program, I was like, I need this client to stay on with me, which to some extent, and this is what's really powerful about these childhood wounds is that they actually help you a little bit. So I became a really fucking good coach because I was like, I need to retain this person. And to a certain extent, I am a really good boyfriend because I need this person to not leave me. But then at a certain point, like the attachment is way too much and the person leaves and it leaves me just completely broken. And so that was the main thing that I had to step out of was this fear of rejection, this fear or this belief that I wasn't worthy So those were, I think that was a very long-winded way to answer your short question. (laughs) No, I mean, first I want to say thank you for sharing that experience because it's definitely a lot to, you know, open up about childhood instances. I think a lot of people 
A, aren't aware of things that far back because, you know, personally, before we started working together, I didn't even really process what was happening between when I was, you know, four and eight when all those identities are really being created. But then also, I think your explanation kind of shows how that one instance affects all aspects of life. It's not just how you're conducting yourself in relationships or in business, but it's kind of holistic across all of life, that one specific circumstance. So, you know, we really want to point out that that's such a large thing to work through is really being aware of the beliefs, changing them, and then seeing how that transitions. So I guess once you work through and probably continue to work through that specific story, what have you come out on the other side of that story with? Yeah, so I think it really boils down to just fearing rejection less. And, you know, I created my mission, going back to my mission, it's all about connection for me. And so connection is all is pretty much the exact opposite of abandonment, which is really what most of my clients come to find is their biggest pain actually turns into their purpose. And so the biggest pain for me was people leave me who love me. And for me, my whole life is about connection. And so I've just turned, I mentioned generating leads as being the thing that I really struggled with. So I just turned the wording lead generation into lead connection. And it just changed everything for me. It was like, I know I'm a really good coach, but I need to make a connection with this person in order for them to ever sign on with me. And I'm really good at that. I'm really good at human connection. It's what I'm put on this earth to do. And I know that I can help them. So let me let me reach out to this person. And let me offer support and advice. And if it turns into a conversation about coaching, sweet. And if it doesn't, I just help somebody. Mm-hmm. So it, that's really what it came down to was, was stepping out of fear of rejection. And that's a really interesting point that you made of that it's almost the thing that we fear most that is ultimately our strength or a thing that we're destined to do in some sense. What do you think causes that? Or why do you think that comes up, you know, in your situation or even people you've worked with kind of once they get through that blockage on the other side, that might be the thing itself that they were working through. Yeah. So this is actually a topic that came up in a coaching conversation um, on Thursday. So my coach's coach led us through this conversation and something that came up, he asked all of us if we had ever experienced any trauma. And I'm like, well, that's kind of a weird question, first of all, because we've all experienced trauma, whether or not you actually recognize it. We've all experienced emotional trauma. Anyway, so he says that, he tells us, of course you have, and it's given you this power, and he called the power deliverance. And so deliverance, he described it, was our abilities to take somebody from their pain and deliver them to their their promised land and so i I think that the the purpose of my emotional trauma was for me to have this ability of deliverance and to be able to take people from their pain where they're stuck and to be able to help them see that like there there's something else that they can step into and they can start living life with new purpose and passion and actually enjoy this human experience that we don't really have a whole lot of time to enjoy so I think that that was really the biggest thing that I got out of out of my emotional trauma was this gift of deliverance. Had you thought about the idea of deliverance before, or was this kind of a newfound idea, like, or maybe even some background on this coach's coach that I know you've spoke very highly of? What was kind of his approach to all of this? Yeah, so I've never heard the term deliverance, so I like the fact that I have it as like one word before, but the way that I've always described the purpose of my business has been that I'm the strength for others to unlock the strength within themselves. And so originally unlocking your strength, this came from when I was a powerlifting coach, clients used to say all the time that they felt like they were unlocking new strength. And I was like, that's kind of a cool term. I like that. And so as I, I learned about deliverance from my mindset coach without as many words, you know, he asked me like what it is that I do with my business. And I just like responded with that off the cuff. And he was like, wow, yeah, you do. And so I kind of described deliverance by, by that purpose statement. But yeah, to answer your question about Reggie. So Reggie is a spiritual coach for my coach, Jake. And Reggie is like one degree separated from God. I'm convinced of it. He is nothing short of a prophet. 
I've never heard of anybody talking about anything as fluently as he does. It's like he lives in flow state. It's unlike anything that I've ever seen before. And he is just incredibly wise and insightful. I reached out to him maybe like three or four months ago. And I was like, hey, I'm a student of Jake's. I'm reading this book that says that you should get to know your mentor's mentors and you're his. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself? I I think it would help me to understand Jake a little bit better if I knew you. And he, so I, I asked him like, what do you stand for? And he said, I'm a student of life. And that was it. And I was like, holy shit. Like the next time that I ever think for a second that I could be done learning, I'm just going to remember that my coach's coach is a student of life. Like that was so profound in so few words. And that's really what I, I get from Reggie. He's incredible. Also, I just want to touch about your, I guess, your slogan of unlocking new strength. I like that idea because Aiden shared with me when we first met your PDF file, the designs. I liked uh, some of the concepts. I didn't follow it strictly because I was in a different program at the time. But I think the notion of unlocking new strength, but the, I feel like the key phrase is unlocking because in order to unlock something, you must possess the key to the lock because you can unlock something if you have a key, then you can unlock it, right? That means you're simply acting as the key to help your clients to tap into their untapped potential, but then you're giving them the key, the deliverance piece, right? You're the vehicle to deliver that key to your clients. So I feel like unlocking new strength is a pretty cool concept. It's a very good slogan. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, there's so many people in the fitness space, it's one of my biggest pet peeves, is people post these transformation photos. And like transformation implies that there was like something new added or something old taken away, but that's not what I do at all with my clients. Like everything that they have is already within them. So to your point, it's just like, it's just unlocking it. It's just finding it. It's like the whole metaphor of we're all just seeds, you know, trees are just seeds. They already had everything that was in them. They just needed to be nurtured. And that's really what I do for my clients It's like, I see that they can be a tree and right now they're a seed and I'm just going to nurture them until they can get to that point. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify every Monday at 7 a.m. Eastern Time. Follow us on Instagram at Discover More Podcast. And please share this with your friends and everyone that you know. Thanks for listening to another episode of Discover More, where we intend to discover more life through intentional dialogues. And we truly appreciate everyone who have made it until the end. Till next Monday.